0: Welcome to Tax Yak, a tax banter podcast. We love yakking about tax, so we've invited a range of tax experts and practitioners, including our colleagues at Tax Banter, Webmartin Consulting and TaxEd, to have a chat with us. We hope you enjoy this episode of Tax Yak. I'm Robin Jacobson, a senior tax trainer with Tax Banter, and your host of today's podcast. I'm joined by Alan Fitzgerald. Alan has worked in various business development and account management roles at Solution 6, now part of MIOB, APS and Thomson Reuters. In 2015, Alan founded Practice Connections, which works with accounting firms to source the best tax, compliance and practice management software solutions. His nearly 20 years of experience working with tax and accounting software, along with his industry insights, makes him the perfect buyer's advocate. Alan, welcome to Taxiac.
1: Thanks very much, Robin. It's great to be here.
0: Now, paths first crossed late last year. I was facilitating a CPA evening talking about work-related yep. expenses with a, a good-sized audience, and you were one of my panelists, and we were talking about work-related expenses, and that was all fine. And then right at the end of the evening, one of the fellows from the audience asked about country-by-country reporting and the systems needed to comply with those reporting rules. And without hesitation, you jumped right in and answered the question. Now, I can't think of too many people who can swing so easily from work-related expenses into country-by-country reporting.
1: Well, you might have seen that I was wearing my high-vis uh, work-related expenses socks. On oh, which that particular is fully night, deductible, of which, and, and so <laughs> yeah, it's one of the things that I guess that I've been able to do over the years. Um, I've had the privilege to work in a variety of industries and in a variety of areas that, that has opened my, uh, I guess my perception and my awareness to a whole lot of different areas. And country by country reporting is is one of those.
0: Look, you bring a great perspective to our TaxiAC podcast. Okay. Um, uh, most of our episodes to date have been uh, more along the technical lines or technical discussions. Yep. But what I wanted to do with you today is have a chat about technology and tax. What does it look like at the moment? What are the tools available to accounting and tax practices? And more excitingly, what does the future look like? Because this is changing faster than most of us can keep up with.
1: Yeah, sure. The, the way that technology is currently going is that more and more of it is going into the cloud. Now, the reality behind that is that the cloud allows you to work from anywhere and it's well documented what the cloud can offer. So the, the dilemma from an Australian perspective is that the size of the population so roughly 25 million people, when you start spring uh, cutting that down into the number of accounting firms and the number of people that are actually going to buy a piece of tax software, you've actually got quite a small market. But in saying that, you have a lot of vendors that uh, challenge for that marketplace. There must be at least five, if not six, that, that challenge into that. And space. It is a mandatory
0: marketplace. In other words, you do have to lodge tax returns and other reports. So there is a, a guaranteed market
1: here. Look, so long as the government keep on changing the rules, then there's always I'm going to be a pretty compliance. confident they will. Oh, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure too. So, so you have you have elements of software that will work for the the smaller firms and the sole practitioners. But then you also have the market, which is the mid-tier space right through to the big four. And they, each of those um, different verticals have different requirements within, within what they have for their clients, be they small to medium enterprises, individuals, uh, right through to lodging uh, the BHPs of this world, lodging a corporate tax return and, and consolidated tax returns as well.
0: I'd like to mention just for the purpose of our listeners that we're not endorsing any products today. We're simply discussing the types of tools that are available. Yep. The stakeholders in this whole market if we can trust we've got our authorities whether it be ASIC whether it be the tax office whether it be APRO super funds whatever then we've got the advisors the tax agents the lawyers we've got the digital service providers or the software developers Mm -hmm. and then we've got the taxpayer or the business so a lot of stakeholders a lot of interests how do you juggle all this how do you work out what is the best tool for the right customer
1: the challenge that accounting firms, and if I just focus in on accounting firms at the moment, is that if you look at the the gener- or the genesis of um, the softwares that we use today or are in, 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 in popular usage today, a lot of them stem from softwares from about 30 years ago. So there's been this generation and several generations that have grown up using a particular brand of software. So that brand then gets associated with that's the tax software that we're going to use. Um as I've said in several other conversations, one of the th- joys of why we like to deal with accounting firms is because as my brother once said, nobody likes a spontaneous accountant. So their tendency to radically change systems um, is is limited. so they they basically stay with one system.
0: But it must be such a big deal to change
1: systems. It is, and that's the challenge because you build processes around the software. Um, and that's the, that's where the, the softwares the newer softwares are breaking that mould because they you no longer have to have a, a defined process. You can actually have your process matched to the software rather than the process matching to the, uh, sorry the software matching to the process. If that makes sense,
0: you're not having to conform necessarily to what they're designing or developing. Correct,
1: it fits in around you. Yes, exactly. And so this where the newer softwares are coming into play is giving actual flexibility but they're also giving benefits that sit on uh, sit outside that. Now, the challenge for a lot of the, the vendors in this space is that if you look between a, a cloud application and a client server application, um, the legacy applications in the Australian market are highly functional. So they've got a lot of capability that have, has been inbuilt over the last, in essence, 30 years in some instances. For example? Oh, well, you look at MYOB, Yep. right? So that's still based around Uh, the original Solution 6 tax from 35 something years ago, which has been around and has served the industry dramatically well over those years. Um, So you you parallel that, say, with a a zero tax which has been around for five years, approximately. And there's a lot of uh, organizations that are moving to zero tax because it's in the cloud. Now, you can't expect to have the same functionality in a zero tax as you have in an MYOB tax. Because one's only been around for five years and the other one's been around for 35 years. So what it's all about is compromise. And that's where a couple of the newer players coming into the marketplace are basically saying we can bridge some of those gaps. So from a scalability perspective, instead of being limited to, you know say, 35 users, uh, we'll be able to go have a greater user number base within there from a cloud product perspective. And so it's it's understanding from a firm's perspective where they want to be, where they are today and where they want to be in a couple of years' time to understand which is the best application for them out in the marketplace.
0: What do you see as the main limitations of the modern technologies? So I'm talking about the cloud-based zeros, for example, and even the MoB that's cloud-based. Comparing those to the older products, they might offer new functionality and, yep. and user access and all sorts of things. And including client access, but they must have limitations as
1: well. Well, if you look at a zero tax for, as an example, you've got a scalability um, issue. So zero would be quite open in saying, "Look, yes, this a product. will, our sweet spot is say the 25, 30 users. That's the that's where you're reaching the the, the peak of of, of the um, the capabilities of the software. Whereas a myob desktop you look around or at an APS, for example, you look around and and the big four are using them. So you can have hundreds if not thousands of users sitting on them because they've got the infrastructure in-house to manage it. When you get into that cloud environment, you start, that's where the the challenge is for a lot of these firms. So the small firms are are, uh, ably handled by Xero. The big firms are handled by your myobs and the APSs. It's the ones in the middle who want to get into the cloud environment, but they can't do it because the capabilities of the software um, doesn't allow them to. And that's where there's a couple of new vendors that are coming into the Australian market, which are basically tackling that and have currently got the scalability in other jurisdictions and they're, re- they're writing the, the application for the Australian market. So there's stuff happening out in, in, the, in the background, but that's probably going to be, I would say, another 12 months away at, that, at a minimum.
0: So when you talk about this middle market coming in potentially from overseas, is that then threatening the historical players, such as the MYOBs at the, the big end of the scale? Absolutely. And is it also at the same time preventing potentially zero from moving into that middle market?
1: I'm not sure if zero actually want to move into that middle market, and and my reasoning behind that, and again, personal opinion on on this, is that the where zero get most of their business is from the smaller accounting firms that sell zero to their SMEs. Right, and they have the, the inherent advantage that if they do that, they fundamentally get the practice management, tax, and accounting for free. So, if I'm an, if I'm a partner in a firm and I want, so I'm in, a, say, I pick a, a one of the mid tiers here, um, a three letter I pick one, and I leave and set up my own business, and I can bring fifty clients with me from an in- incentivization perspective the legacy players, such as a, a MIOB, um, APS, or a HandySoft, they're going to charge me a, a, a wad of cash to set up an accounting firm, whereas Zero will basically say, here, just have that. Bring on some clients, and, and away you go. And the advantage for them in the next step on that is that all of the additional tools that sit around that ecosystem um, they can do what they want to do with it. So there's all the reporting tools, there's you know all the co- corporate compliance. You know, it's just easy. Whereas before it was really hard. So if anybody has gone through a server upgrade or anything, you don't have to buy servers anymore. That's the amazing thing. So you're you got you know twenty five thirty thousand re- uh, dollar reasons. Or, uh, sorry, twenty five thirty thousand reasons not to buy uh, a legacy product.
0: What would you say to a firm that is still operating in, a, let's say, an older-style technological environment? Yeah. So they're they're using old systems. They may not be in the cloud yet. Not everybody is. Um, Some of them are hesitant. They're they're reticent to take on the new technology. They're not sure where to go. They're not sure how to go about it. Yeah. They're perhaps a bit unsure about it all, and they may be a a bit cautious.
1: Look, one of the challenges that I see out in the marketplace is – and you, I can fully understand this, is that they've been guided by um, in either in an internal IT team or an external IT team. Those teams have the 25,000, 30,000 reasons not to change and upset the boat. And so what I see uh, is, is that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of older partners are going, look, maybe we should go cloud. Oh, no, don't go cloud, don't go cloud. And they go, oh, OK, my IT guy has told me I shouldn't go cloud, whereas everybody else has gone, yeah, we've gone cloud. It's OK. The banks have gone cloud. You know, you know everything is going cloud.
0: Can I ask you, sure. just pausing on cloud, security, that's always a concern about it's out there. It's up there somewhere. I, I yeah. can't access it, but I know it's publicly available because it's always being hacked. What level of concern or of comfort can
1: people seek? when they're
0: looking at this. You, know, you weigh up the concerns with the
1: comfort. Sure. No, look, the cloud is... is um, the, I, There's one way to look at it is that the, um, there's a great acronym called PEPCAC. And PEPCAC is the problem exists between the chair and the keyboard. Right? So it's the human element touching that data that is your greatest weakness. So if you think of the Liechtenstein scandal or the Panama Papers and so forth, yes. that was because someone took a copy or... It was leaked. It was leaked, right? And took a copy of it. So that's all. that was all secured, in inverted commas, secured. So it doesn't matter how... Um, it's always the individual that's going to cause the problem as opposed to the cloud that will cause the problem. So you have... There's companies out there such as... Um, uh, Practice Protect, which is a, a company based, I think, based out of Queensland, that assist in locking down the infrastructure and having two-factor authentication for websites and so forth. Because if you've done um, logging into a personal bank account, you you get the you know put in your yes. the code we've sent it to your 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 telephone. That's two-factor authentication, and that's that's something that happens. I'll, I'll give you an analogy. Many years ago, I uh, encouraged a, a practitioner to move. Um, his server from his office and put it into a data center that I, um, with a company that I was working with. And he said, you know, Alan, I, I really like looking at the box in the corner. You know, it gives me great comfort to put the, you know, all that stuff in there. And I said, okay, you're a um, Cant wealth. At the time, he was a Kent wealth advisor. And he said, yes, I am. Yeah, I've been Cant wealth for a number of years. I said, where's the data? And he sat back and he went, you know what? I have no idea. So I said, "Look, at least in this scenario, you know where the box is. It's in, you know, just down in Collins Street." But that was the genesis. That was the moment, you know, that little you know, ep- epiphany, where he realised that the data was actually he didn't know where his da- account wealth data was, and that was all of his client's data from a financial planning perspective. So you're actually talking about their future rather than their rather than their current state.
0: I think sometimes people don't understand what something is until that's pointed out to them. Now, for example. There is a requirement under the the Code of Professional Conduct for a tax agent that they can't share their client's data with anybody else unless their client authorizes them to do so or it's a legal requirement to do so. And so everyone's aware that you can't just go and give your client's information to a financial advisor or a bank or a lawyer or whatever unless the client okays it. But somehow storing something in a Dropbox folder Hmm. isn't considered to be a third party because it's just another folder on my computer. So it's this awareness of I can access things on my computer and my devices so easily now, and yet technically these are third-party yep. solutions. You're giving the data to somebody else. So it's those sorts of issues that people don't always turn their minds to.
1: Well, my my, my favourite analogy at the moment of this is the um, the tax return um, because of the notifiable data breaches, uh, the Data Breach Act. Um, obviously, you can't send no identifiable pieces of of data, so tax file numbers, names, addresses, and so forth. So I've come, I came across a firm recently that is redacting all of that information on tax returns. So just all these black lines throughout the electronic tax returns and then emailing the tax returns to the end user. So the end user gets this tax return in inverted commas with the thing saying sign here, sign here, sign here. And he or she is going, but I don't even know if it's mine.
0: It's very true. <laughs>
1: because you <laughs> you know, there's nothing
0: to tie that Because there's nothing well, on there
1: which says it's my tax return. Apart from the fact it's an email that was sent to me. It's a yeah. twist, isn't it? So it's kind of like it's these are challenges that are out there unless you actually say, well, actually, why not use a portal or use some kind of technology to, to do that?
0: A, a client in New South Wales raised this with me recently where they queried the payment slips that the ATA provides for clients to make payments, which have the TFN all over them mm. because the reference number... Contains the TFN, if you know the makeup of how that reference code is compiled, you can work out the TFN of the taxpayer. So, the ATO is aware of it, but we've still got these sorts of historical legacies
1: and that, um, that's with
0: combining new age technology.
1: Yeah, and and that is absolutely a challenge. It's it's uh, it's apples and oranges, and you're trying to slam it together to, and it doesn't work sometimes. And it doesn't always make fruit salad. It doesn't make well. That's what's the old line: is that knowledge is. Uh, so wisdom is not is knowing that a fruit is a... sorry a tomato is a fruit, and knowledge is knowing not to put it into a fruit salad. <laughs>
0: Very true. Okay. Now, I want to talk about some of the tools that are available at the moment. So, can you run through currently what is accessible um, without going through every single possible yeah, option sure. for FEMS, but the, the main ones you see, so document storage and storage of data and, and the main operating systems, what do you see there?
1: Uh, from a document management perspective, I mean, one of that's, there's been an explosion in that marketplace. So, obviously, the, the Myobs and the APSs, so MIOBs have got their own document manager um, APS have got uh, what's known as a virtual cabinet. Um, there's Nimbus portals. There's uh, Suite Files. There's the new FYI Docs, which has come out for um, uh, for zero products, uh, zero solutions.
0: DocuSign is another one I've heard of.
1: DocuSign is the actual signing of, of the documentations within there. And there's a couple of other alternatives in that space as well. Um, there's Adobe Acrobat PDF Docs. You know the list goes on and on because there are so many. Um, whilst the Australian market is quite insular, the rest of the world isn't so insular. They're creating products all over the place. Uh, from a tax preparation perspective, um, you've obviously got Myob AO and AE, um, uh, APS, Sage, HandySoft, Zero, um, um, QuickBooks have recently signed up with Lodge IT or Lodge IT. I don't know, quite sure how you say that. Um, the Tax Lab is a company that's coming into the Australian market. Um, Thomson Reuters um, for uh, they're more known for their corporate tax, um, but they have um, a very clever FBT solution. Um, there's Easy FBT. Um, Clue's in the name. Um, And that's designed for both accounting firms as well as um, large organizations with fleets of vehicles and so forth. The employer
0: directly needs to handle it. The employer directly. And
1: and then you just send the file to the accounting firm and they just...
0: It's all and it's
1: all it's all done, and that's that's the thing is that the, there's, there's tools out there that will do ninety percent of the work. Well, sorry, I'll rephrase that. That's a really bad analogy, but they'll do a lot of the work for you and, and assist you rather than having to revoke and or re- back to spreadsheets.
0: What about corporate tax tools? So, getting into the consolidation space, yep. country by country reporting. This is a separate domain again, and very specialized.
1: It is, so the main players in Australia for um, corporate tax, um, well, there's three. One is the Old Moore Stevens, it's now a Shine Wing, which have got um, corporate tax. That's an Excel-based corporate tax preparation tool. Um, Thomson Reuters and Walters Kluwer have, so Walters Kluwer have got Integrator, and Thomson Reuters have uh, one source corporate tax. So they basically ingest um, tax data that can be from multiple entities and then will dynamically consolidate that up to the the single tax return. But along the way, you can also do if you're this that separation church and state with provision work and, and tax effect accounting, but they'll do the tax effect accounting calculations as well, or someone else will do those tax effect accounting calculations. Um, And then that information then rolls over to to form the the ultimate tax return. So what you have is a scenario where the um, closing balances become the opening balances. You don't have to re-key stuff, right? And that's just, you know, you spend too long in college to be a glorified data entry person. So the advantage of a lot of these tools is that they also automate the working papers. Now, what I mean by that, if anybody's done a corporate tax return, they know that it's an A4 binder, typically for a couple of entities, and someone has to sit there going, that calculation relates to page 72, then that one relates to blah, blah, blah. So if it were in spreadsheet form, it would all be cross-referenced? Well, it basically these tools automatically cross reference all of the working papers. Now, it's the only time where I've actually had a, um, a a director of accounting cry in a meeting was because...
0: You reduced him to tears?
1: Yeah, no. I was going through my demonstration of the one source corporate tax and I said, um, you know, and for the, my final trick, here's the automatic cross-referencing of the working papers, Brr, did it all in you know, 30 seconds. And he sat there going, I've just spent three days doing that. <laughs> and that's the thing. So I knew hand on heart for anybody using, because I would get this information from people that for every entity that you used at this stage, either Thomson Reuters or Walters um, you would save um, a minimum 10 hours for every entity. So that's a day and a half of someone doing tedious, no, no zero value work that's invariably, invariably written off. And, yeah, you know, why would you do it? Why would you inflict that on someone?
0: At the risk of opening up an entire conversation, which is probably a podcast in itself, superannuation. Superannuation funds, investments, the reporting obligations.
1: Yeah, look, I. The reality for me is that I I I don't play a lot in that area because there's really only a handful of players in it. So you've got your BGLs, you've got your uh, Class Supers, you've got Super Concepts, and, and a couple of other ones sitting in the background. But do
0: you see those technologies evolving as well?
1: Oh, if I look at um, BGL, BGL are they're. Wow, it's yeah, crazy, crazy good stuff. What yeah, they're it's up to, good. you know. Big data. Big data. If you a lot hear of it.
0: that expression, what does it mean, and what role does it play? How is it being used?
1: Um, income matching. So the ATO income matching or benchmarking that the the, the ATO have. They capture um, tax data and uh, expense claims and motor vehicle expenses and all that data from such a huge variety of, of uh, industries and industry types and so forth, so they can they can start doing, in essence, benchmarking. And that is comparing Robin's um, motor vehicle expenses against the median motor vehicle expenses claim. And so what it does is that if Robin, for argument's sake, puts in this, yes, I drove my car 100% of the time for work, which of course-
0: Hand on We well, put- you
1: know that you did. <laughs> 100 of the time for work and you drove, I don't know, 82,000 kilometers in, 20, in FY 2018. We do a lot of training here you know, at just Absolutely. You're all over the place in a, in a nice way, of course. Um, you know, it's it basically, it, is that a reasonable claim? And how they do that is by analyzing a lot of data.
0: Two really interesting things they're doing, and we'll use car expenses yeah. as um, the example here. One is nudge technology. I'm not sure if you've heard that expression as such. So, if
1: I'm doing my tax return, it's like, hey, look, you've, you're trying to claim too much. You get yeah. these real-time pop-up messages. And That's big data.
0: In the time that you're working through this, it will go away and check last year's tax returns that you've lodged. It'll check your occupation code. It'll check others in your profession or industry. Yeah. Um, it's cross-checking all of this in milliseconds and comes back and says, yeah, you sure you want to claim yeah. this? Yeah. And the ATO told me that uh, apparently there was one taxpayer who tried 18 times and kept revising their claim downwards until finally the system said, yeah, okay, that looks reasonable. But the ATO tracks all of this. Yeah, so, Nudge technology trial. is very powerful for them. Absolutely. The second thing is they're now using data from, and we call it metadata. So, not the, um, you know, if you're looking at a telephone, it's not the phone call you make. It's actually the time and the place, location, yep. etc., um, as you'd be aware, but for those who don't. And they're matching eTag records. Mobile sure. phone towers, so you don't even have to be making a phone call. Your mobile phone is still connecting to a tower somewhere, and the ATO has this data. So if you're saying, "Oh, yes, I was visiting a client on the Mornington Peninsula, and here's my logbook to say so," but your mobile phone places you in the Yarra Valley for the afternoon, they're going to say it's much more likely you were with your phone, and the car is a made-up trip. E-tag records, they can cross-reference it, and people have been silly enough to actually be recording logbook trips when they're not even physically in the country. And the ATA knows mm-hmm. this because they've cross-checked it against passport data. Yeah. So the, the there's no hiding, to, folks. There's no high <laughs> That's
1: folks. There's no. Sorry, that's that's. I mean, I, I totally agree, and it's it's that's the classic scenario of the of uh, the tradie. Who's driving around in a $150,000 ute, but only claiming income of 35000 Exactly. Yeah, half of which is tax free. Yeah, great. Yeah. And
0: people say to me frequently, but aren't there privacy laws? Well, when it comes to the ATO, um, basically, no. Yeah. The ATO can access data by law from whomever and whenever they want. So this is a game changer.
1: Oh, look, and this this uh, the big data is going to get progressively bigger and bigger and bigger because. The uh, one of the disadvantages, if you want, it, going back to the legacy tax applications, is that everything was self-contained within the 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 the, the data set, like the data set that was on, sitting on the server, and what was ultimately sent through to the ATO. Um, now that everything is in the cloud, you know, and as you say, the ATO has got access to all of this stuff. It, they're ju- they're just building up their their database. It's just purely and it's going to get more powerful, and as it's it goes just going on. to get more and more powerful.
0: Look, figures vary, but I've heard quotes of 700 million, 800 million, even over a, a billion transactions a year that the ATO is data matching. So, it oh, wouldn't a-
1: surprise me. I mean, going back to the country by country scenario, country by country, for those that are not familiar with it, it is a um, legislation that was brought into play by the OECD, and it affects. Um, companies turning over a billion Aussie dollars and above. We call right? them significant global entities. SGEs, significant yes. And the idea behind this is that a significant or an SGE working in, in a, a variety of, of jurisdictions, if I'm the HMRC in the UK and I can see and that- The
0: HMRC just for everyone is the equivalent of our tax office, a- revenue a- collection.
1: Yep. Um, if I'm in the HMRC in the UK and I've got an SGE that's turning over, um, so let's say $10 billion dollars and they're paying me 500 million in tax or in tax, pounds, obviously, well, pounds are interchangeable with dollars, paying me $500 million. Great, that's fantastic. If that same SGE is in Italy and same turnover in Italy, and they're paying 750 million um, euros, dollars, whatever the scenario is, the two governments can compare this information and they can go, hold on a second, how come it, how come Italy is getting more and we're getting less? Can you come in, with SGE because we want to have a chat? Because you're you're it's it's all the transfer pricing so, world. I appreciate that, but this is where they're actually so they can actually capture who's paying revenue in different it's jurisdictions. It's a global conversation. It's a global conversation. Tax is no longer local.
0: Now there's another expression that. Uh we want to have a chat about called RPA. So Robotic Process Automation. Can you please put that into plain English?
1: Okay, easily done. Um, The analogy that I use with my clients is that the average typist can type between 30 and 40 words per minute. The average reader can read between 250 and 300 words per minute, which means it takes you four to five times longer to write something than it does to review it. RPA basically assists in the preparation of writing that. So it works 24 hours a day, 365 days of the year, and you basically, uh, it feeds you the information that you ultimately want to have as an output. Now that can come in a variety of forms, but in essence, what it's doing is it's just churning based on a preset, a number of rules, and then we'll give you the information that you want. So look at it as brawn, it's the brawn component.
0: Is this tool or is this futuristic?
1: No, no, it's, there are, there's a lot of places that are beginning that whole process and doing it because it's basically information, information out. So if you have a scenario where you know that you've got a whole pile of preset um, rules that you take place. and Accounting firms are a great example of something where it's process driven. If you have a process, you can automate that process. So where it gets really clever after that is layering then artificial intelligence on top of it which is the brains of the scenario so you've got brawn and brains you've got the guys churning through all the data and then the artificial intelligence which will sit above it and look at it and interpret it and give you some hints as to what they're seeing within that data so your nudge scenario from the ato is artificial intelligence because it's actually saying to you as the taxpayer if you're trying to put in that Yeah, fifty thousand kilometer things. Like, are you sure? You know, because we've taken a look back here, and based on your industry, it's doing all of this cross referencing stuff in the background, and it's taking a look and it's saying, "I'm not sure if this is what you should be doing."
0: So, let's talk about AI or artificial intelligence and how this looks in the future. What is going to be possible here? And this is a bit of a a crystal ball gazing exercise now, but you've got far more experience than I do on this. So how does AI work? What's, what's the potential for accounting firms here?
1: Okay. the It's not coming after your job. Okay.
0: Okay. So we're not about to lose our profession. You're
1: not, you're not going to lose your job. What it's going to do is it's going to change some of the tasks within um, within your job. So as a, going back to that analogy that I used, when you, if you spend five times longer preparing something than you do reading it, when you come in in the morning, it will be there for you to, to review. You won't have to spend the time Writing it. So Question,
0: just, and I'm taking this to an um, analogy of work papers. So if some yep. of these mundane tasks can be done by robotics or artificial intelligence, and we're now just relying basically on a reviewer or a senior person coming in, how do we skill up the profession if those medial tasks are now going to be done potentially by robotics? That's- because we're not going to have senior people who have been there and chaired the journals and done the debits and credits because that potentially will now be done by others in an artificial sense.
1: I reckon if you did a poll, I did I did a straw poll of a, a conference that I was at in Singapore. I did a presentation in Singapore, and there was probably about 500 accountants in the room. And I said, right, I want everybody who loves data entry to put their hands in the air. No one did. No big surprise.
0: They don't like it, but they've got to do it to get the experience.
1: Absolutely, but it's that scenario of once you can still do that, those elements because if you think of, I think, um, uh, what's his name, Trent, McKen- uh, Trent Dennis from from zero. He gets his team, and rightly so, to do T accounts. Right? Just I just keep up, keep up to date. Just not
0: don't lose the don't, skills. Don't
1: lose the skills, because it's the it's easy to become the jack of all trades. But the the, the old saying is. Don't use the trick of the trade, learn the trade. And so it's you absolutely have to have those those fundamentals. But if you think of how accounting is is changing as well, um, you have this push where particularly amongst the big fir, the big four firms and then the mid tier firms where the ratio of skilled accountants that are coming into the industry versus non-accountants coming into into their business, it's changing. So you have, I think what the scenario will be is you'll have people that just love numbers and love crunching numbers sitting in the background and you'll have a different um, front on the business or a different facade to uh, to the business or a more holistic services offering. And that goes down to that whole advisory piece because going back to that uh, robotic process automation and AI, that enables, because you've saved so much of your time doing stuff you can actually say to a client, "Hey, with this information that we've now gleaned, do you know that if you make this change, this will be the knock-on effect?"
0: Where does that leave junior accountants? Because that advisory work tends to be the domain of the more senior practitioners.
1: I think it's. Uh, I would. I think you're underestimating what younger accountants can actually do. Okay. Because if you think of anybody that wants to be in that particular, in, be in the accounting profession. They're thinking about – they're not thinking about the ones and zeros. They're thinking about how can I use the skill sets that, I've got, that I have to benefit um, other people within the organisation. So, so uh, give me the data. So
0: they may develop more analytical skills and less data entry skills.
1: Look, data analytics now is probably the biggest market known to contemporary man. Big call. Because big data, it's all about the data. Now, this, it's a double-edged sword because, you, as you correctly pointed out, you need someone who goes, well, what does that actually mean, sitting in the background? And a lot of this stuff will be automated to an extent, but it still requires someone to sit down and go, actually, no, that doesn't, either it doesn't look right or there's been, you know, can, you, can I divide it by nine? That means the computer somewhere along the line has done the typo. Um, but it, it's a scenario where the, um, the industry is changing. And the, the industry has always changed. I mean, I, if you look at the scenario of uh, the earliest form of keeping track of stuff was pebbles, you know, a series of pebbles, and then the Romans came along and they had this ridiculous thing which lasted for 1,500 years, which are Roman numerals, right? And they didn't have a zero, right? You couldn't—that's a Z zero, not an X-E-R-O. So they didn't even have a zero. And you know, as someone said, it was um, Kurt Vonnegut uh, Jr., the the author, American author. He said, you know, how do they do long division? How do you do long division in Roman numerals? You can't, right? So it's when the, the, uh, the, the Persian, the Arabic traders came in with their uh, and in, uh, Indo, uh, Indo-Persians with, the, with what we call today um, just the normal numbers that we use today that facilitate being able to count. So over the years, you know, when Pacioli said to the bishop one day, he said, hey, take a look at this. I reckon I've got a... I've taken some ideas and I've adapted them. What do you reckon about this? That was a massive change for the, for the industry. So it's just another yeah. stage of evolution? It's just another stage of the evolution. And you can fight against it, but it's kind of like King Canute you know, holding back the tide.
0: Let's talk blockchain briefly. I mean, that sure. could be a whole discussion in itself, but there will still be people who don't understand it and we haven't really got the time to go through in detail how it operates. Yep. Um, we do have a special topic paper available that analyses broadly um, what it is and how it works in a very rudimentary sense. But if you could describe blockchain... Firstly, and secondly, what is its potential for use in the accounting profession?
1: Okay, on a first point, is that what I say to my clients and say in a couple of the speeches that I've done is don't worry about blockchain. Now, don't worry about it. Well, what I mean by that is, if you cast your mind back to about 1992, right, there was this buzzword going around called the internet. And everybody was going, oh, the internet's this. Well, not everybody. It was a couple of the, the geeky guys and the, you know, the IT guys. And they thought, it's, it's going to change. It's going to revolutionize. It's going to change the world. And everybody well, sat back it, and it went. It kind of did. Oh, yeah, well, wait. It did. But at the time, people were just going, yeah, really? Yeah, you know, it's okay. Phone, why do we need this? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to today and I say, the internet, do you know how it works? No. Nah. Do you know what it does? Yeah, it does everything. I do everything on the internet. We live say.
0: our lives, by
1: it. that's what I think blockchain is going to be. Okay. So there's a lot of noise. So oh, when
0: you say don't worry about it, you're not saying I'm ig- not say, ignore I'm,
1: it. I'm not saying ignoring it. I'm saying it will become. It, it will just happen. Okay. It will just happen. So you have a scenario where um, the there's a lot of you'll see a lot of um, vendors saying, "Oh, we've done this with blockchain, or we've done this with blockchain." That's a vendor quite rightly, so exploring the opportunities and the capabilities of blockchain. But it will take a client to go, actually, I have a need. Can someone do this for me? So there have been a whole pile of vendor-led initiatives, which are fantastic because it's opening up and they're experiment, yeah, experimenting with it. But there hasn't actually been someone or a client or someone, you know, game enough to go, actually, this is a real burning need for our clients. Now, you'll see it within the food processing industry and, and sourcing of food and so forth. I read forth. an article
0: recently about yeah. this.
1: And, and real estate, so people buying real estate can exchange. Now, that's just about secure contracts.
0: And it's restaurants sourcing quality materials. So, or, uh, materials, ingredients. Ingredients. So if In they, some places, it's materials. <laughs> but if there's a, a supplier that says, you know, this is um, organic or this is uh, legitimately from Italy or Spain or South America or whatever.
1: The blockchain, you can, prove, they, can be, you, they can prove that. Assured of that. So you can keep track of that record the whole way along. So effectively
0: um, in plain English, blockchain is data which is put into a public ledger that can't yep, be changed or altered changed. and it's accessible to anyone who's within that network? Correct. Okay.
1: And you can have private blockchains and you can have public blockchains. And this, I mean, you know, as you say, it's a separate, it's a separate podcast yes. on that, but it's a, it's a scenario where um, yes, blockchain it's going to have massive impacts, in, in, in my opinion, on our lives in, in the future. But right now it's the, the internet circa 1992. It's a, a lot of stuff happening.
0: Accounting firms, how do they tap into the technology? How will blockchain change what an accountant does on a day-to-day basis?
1: Um, immediate, to it, immediate, it, immediately I don't see a, a, a major thing. Unless they have a client that says to them, well, in fact, the client wouldn't come through the accounting firm. They'd be going directly to a, a vendor to say, "I need something on the blockchain." They wouldn't go to their account to say, can "But I... there could
0: be a use in things like property contracts."
1: Yes, and, and, and Pexa, which is the um, the, the, the online process. convention. So they're they're in um, doing blockchain at the moment. Thomson Reuters have got a product that um, uh, it's a global product. So they they small farm holdings in third world countries. They can actually prove that it's they own that small. Um, block holding and stuff so it is there are uses of it but they are specific uh and not widespread and I, that's where I, I i have that caveat yes it's going to change our lives but it's not going to it's not something that's you're going to wake up the, one morning and go Huh, oh, i'm proud, i'm powered by blockchain if you want if you want to get um people to pay attention from a marketing perspective and so forth. If you have a product, just throw in blockchain, AI, all that stuff, and then you'll get the, you know, people will tag you on Facebook or whatever the scenario is, and that's how you get your numbers up. But at this stage, it's a, it's a bit of, um, it's too early to tell. Maybe. Right.
0: When we wake up tomorrow morning, it's going to be 20.39, maybe even 20.29. What does it look like?
1: Look, I there was a comment on LinkedIn today um, talking about, um, you know, if you think millennials are your target market, there's actually a much bigger market out there. Uh, the UN have forecast that by about 2050, there's going to be more people over the age of 65 than there will be younger people. Um, so my re- response on that particular article was, we have to build a tax system that is going to cater for the ability to service. The aging population, because, you know, we're living at the best time in, ever, you know, from a, from a longevity perspective, the oldest man in the world died 113 the other day, um, his grandfather said, um, but it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's that whole thing is that, you know, when you have a population that is retired um, and in need of support. And you've got a diminishing. You look at Japan at the moment. Yes. I mean, Japan is falling off a cliff.
0: Population, population decline, rise. less people contributing to the tax system, and more relying and, on government handouts. And, the, and,
1: the, and an older population. Mm. And so there's, yeah, it, that's, that's my biggest concern because, you know, in 20, what will it be, 2030, I will be 65. <laughs> so it's, you know, or 2035 20, 20, will be 65. So it's, it is a case of like, oh, wow, okay, this is actually, this is going to affect me, you know, and, and this is where the reporting, they want their clip of the ticket, you know, that this money going around the place. You know, they, that's what they're, this is why they're doing it. The, the regulatory authorities are doing it so they can find where the money's gone.
0: Tax and technology have the same thing in common. They never... Now, it provides opportunities for those in both of those industries, but it's also incredibly daunting. If you think about a sole practitioner, they might have one or two staff members, they might have a couple more. Um, Changing systems. Um, How do they find the time to learn what's right for them? How do they know what to trust? How do they know what they need?
1: Look, my philosophy on that is that if you've made a decision, you made a decision there and then with the information that you have to hand at that particular point in time. So it's not a bad decision. It was a decision that was made. Could it have been better? Absolutely, it could have been better. But also
0: it's been made, so you can't
1: change You that. can't change it anyway, yeah. right? So you, you kind of live it. The, going back to the original point, or one of the earlier points, is that if you um, utilise software or utilise te- um, te- technology to a point where you're forcing your processes around it, and squeezing that into that square peg round hole scenario then you have to change the uh, change some things within the system there's no doubt about that but it's hard you know it's a challenge
0: any final comments or observations i mean we could talk all afternoon and i've thoroughly enjoyed this I've conversation enjoy this as well. um but what would advice would you give an accounting firm that's sitting here on the edge of a huge technological era it's going to change again
1: uh, well, look, with that, there's, there's people like me out there uh, that can, can assist. So there's the David Smiths of this world, there's myself. There's a whole swag of people that are um, can assist an accounting firm with t- taking a look around what options are available to them.
0: Where would you um, start? Do you talk to someone or do, can you jump on the web and start looking at what others are doing? Do you talk to your, uh,
1: your look, colleagues and, and others in the profession? Yeah, it's one of the things you can talk to the, um, the, the guy down the pub you know, my mate, my mate Brian, you know, my mate Sid. He might, you, know, well, you can you can definitely do that, do that. There's um, there's technology exhibitions that are um, now, uh, the old, um, is, is now the old ATSA is as now the acantech exhibition. So that was held in Melbourne in uh, November of last year, and there's one in March of uh, this year. Which I suppose I say of next year to this year uh, in Sydney. Um, there are tech. There there are. Uh, there are free webinars on on the net. Um, you look up something like uh, workflow management. You know, Carbon will be up there. Take a look. At, you know, just go onto a webinar. It's free. Okay. Um, you can uh, go to conferences. There's breakfast sessions. There's you know, the, you, if you're if you're an existing firm and you like a piece of software, refer someone to say, hey, look, this actually really works for us. I mean, the the, the, the accounting industry is such a small industry. Or profession you know that it's sharing knowledge it's it, it's you know you can really benefit people but it's difficult for a sole practitioner to get advice from yeah you know, a big four you know, a group final of, observation pay your taxes good advice by civilization
0: in the sense that as long as you're paying your taxes you're going to get services yeah few people think of tax in that way
1: well i do I'm happy to pay taxes because it buys me civilization.
0: I always say if you're paying tax, you must have made a profit. You're not doing too badly.
1: Oh, look, yeah. Well, I've, 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 yes, i have to say I, I did the great call from my account the other day saying, Alan, you've got a tax problem. It's like, fantastic.
0: <laughs> I've, made, I've made money. <laughs> Alan, it's been an absolute delight. So thank you very much for joining me Pleasure. this afternoon.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Yak. If you're enjoying our podcasts, Please take a moment to rate and review the show wherever you are because it would help to improve the profile of the show. Before we wrap up this episode, we'd like to say thank you to our listeners for your support so far and for all the great feedback you've given us with a special offer. On Wednesday, the 3rd of April, Tax Bounder will be conducting our annual webinar on the federal budget and we're offering all our listeners a 10% discount when you register with promo code Taxiac 19 That's TaxYak19, one word. This offer is only being offered here to our valued tax Yak listeners, and we hope you continue to enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us on social media and let us know what you think or suggest future topics or speakers, you'll find us on LinkedIn and Twitter, or you can email us at podcast at taxbanter.com.au. You can also find our regular blog articles at taxbanter.com.au forward slash banter hyphen blog. We look forward to you joining us next time.